In this week's episode, we talked about the lockdown coming to London and the UK and compared it to how other countries and governments have responded to COVID and also talked about South Africa opening its borders. Let's travel and turn up. Hey. Hey. Yo, what's good, fam? Looking for the perfect travel podcast? We We got got you. you. We're travel entrepreneurs that have been to every inch of the globe. Representing the U.S., the U.K., the Caribbean, and Africa, we cover the entire diaspora. So check us out at TravelAndTurnUp.com. Come travel with us every week, link with the diaspora, and become a better, more informed traveler. That's one question I want to ask you, Tiffany. Are you going to stop traveling? If, if they start saying you have to get the vaccine to travel, will you stay at home? Jide, do you want to answer that question for me? <laughs> well, she's not going to get the vaccine, but she's going to try and figure out a way to travel. She's going to be basically on <laughs> the black web. On the boats. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, not going to be on the black web. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hiring some Israeli uh, uh, person oh, to man. forge like a certificate for her or something like that. You like, know, that's what's going to be. You see, um, that that conspiracy theory that said they were trafficking people on Wayfair, that's going to be Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> See, so I, listen, so I allowed you guys to answer. I allowed you guys to answer for me. So I don't incriminate I don't incriminate myself. I can neither agree nor disagree with what you're saying. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. That's it. Oh what what can London learn from Kingston, Tiffany, as they go into curfew? I don't want to learn nothing. I want to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> like, what lessons could Jamaica teach the UK <laughs> as they are now coming to deal with with, with curfew time? But, but this is it. Okay, so I'm going to speak positives and and negatives. So I'm I'm just trying into Jamaica um, on Monday. But you know, Jamaica only designated a few countries that if once that you had to provide a negative COVID test result prior to flying to Jamaica. One thing is hard to compare the two because one, Jamaica is an island. Jamaica is hot all the time. <clears throat> Natural foods and things. And I'm saying all of these things because they contribute to, I think, controlling the curve of not those who live there was having lower um, COVID rates. This is, again, in in my opinion. So I think it's, it's a bit difficult to compare London and Jamaica, but I honestly don't understand the purpose of curfews. And I, I think it's somewhat of an idiotic statement for me to say that because I'm sure people can come with a plethora of like, look, X, Y, and Z, this is, a, this is what, this is what it curves and this is the reason why they're doing it, but what can you do from, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning to 7 p.m. at night that you would do after 7? Like, what is the purpose of the curfew? No, that's a great point. I, I mean, I agree that I think it's silly because the one thing I was going to say is I feel like what curfews do curb is like those kinds of big parties. and But those weren't supposed to be happening anywhere, at least not in the U.K. So even during this period... Um, so what it's two things first of all yeah even during this period originally I think the maximum was up to 30 they've just reduced it to 6 
and then now they've just introduced this curfew on top. Um, but the point is, even when it was up to 30 people or, or up to six people, that means you shouldn't be allowed to have a party anyway. So I don't understand what the difference is going to be. Like if your neighbours would have called the police before, they're going to call them equally as much now that there's a curfew. So I, that doesn't change too much for me. Um, and I don't understand what, if it's less than six people, what two people come into your house at uh, at 8 p.m. instead of at 11 p.m. I don't understand the difference that makes. So I don't get it. I don't think there's there's no science to that. It's not like COVID is more effective in the daytime. Um, none of that <laughs> ma- makes any difference yeah, to me. You know what, you know what I, I think, think it is, though? You know what I think it is? Hmm. Oh, I, I think it's also, it's just similar to like the mask wearing, right? And like, because I think it's just, it's one more thing that they don't have to worry about. Like, at least if it's curfew mm. and you see people outside, like when I was in Kingston, that was it, right? If it was curfew and you were outside after seven, the police or whomever could focus on you, right? They'd be like, yo, why are you out here? What, what are you doing out here? Like, it's, you're supposed to be inside. So essentially, it's just like cutting down the things that people have to worry about and the, the ways for people to just interact with each other. And I think you want to restrict that just as much as possible because you're just trying to buy time until we get a vaccine or a cure or until the numbers stabilize a little. But what's annoying me, though, is the back and forth, because it's not making sense. Because, And this is why I say it's a bit different from Jamaica's situation, because the curfew is what they initially put in place to reduce numbers and to, you know, to try and stop people. Cool. Here we had a lockdown, which was like we didn't have a curfew, but we did have a limit on basically you couldn't really go outside. You could go outside to do exercise. That's why I was using my exercise as long as possible. Um, but you couldn't go out to do anything else. And, but, but the issue is we already had that period. It lasted for, I think like three months and then they stopped it. And then they said, we can go back outside again. And then literally the last couple of weeks, they've been telling us we've had, um, Matt Hancock, the health secretary telling everyone to come outside. He was at one point, he was saying that, um, people, could be at risk of getting fired if they don't start going back to the office. And then literally a week or two later, you're telling me nobody should go outside again. So it's stupid. Like you can't just finish telling everyone to come outside, start going to the theater, start going to do all this stuff. And then two weeks later, Oh, whoops, sorry, back inside and don't come outside after 10 o'clock. Are you all right? <laughs> like, it's not making sense. If you didn't force us to come outside two weeks ago, we wouldn't have to be inside now. So what's the, it's stupid. Um, you know how many parties I've been to <laughs> out here in Lamu, and then it's just like, okay, what time curfew is at like nine, or I thought it was at ten, but apparently it's at nine. Okay, well let's leave at nine, you know. And then it's, sometimes there's police waiting outside, but you know they have no idea how to handle something like this because most of the presidents have not lived during, uh, you know, uh, a time where it was a plague or or something that crippled the economy and enforced every single border with the exception of like Ethiopia to close. You know, no one, no one has experienced it. So they don't have a precedent to go back to. I'm saying all of this to say, um, the politicians are just as clueless as we are. Every other week, CDC or, you know, who is announcing, Oh, it's airborne. Oh no! Oh, you can get it this way. Oh no! If you sit things out in the sun, like because nobody knows, they have no idea. I mean, you just described, yeah, you just described the situation that nobody <laughs> knows anything basically, 
And I think that's why you're seeing these, you know, half-ass rules and the rules are switching because as people go along, they're just trying to like say like, oh, okay, we think this is, we think this works better. Or we think this works better. And, you know, they're just trying to give themselves a reprieve. So yeah, I mean, you know, curfew in England. I'm actually interested to see how it goes because um, it's funny because what is it, uh, David, 10 o'clock? Yeah, 10 o'clock. So, like, what happens, because I know there's, like, soccer matches that go past 10 o'clock. So, like, what happens if, like, you know, Liverpool's playing, you know, uh, whomever, and it's a Monday night football match, and it goes to, like, 10.30? So, do people, yeah, do people have to, like, leave the bar at 10? Perfume doesn't apply to rich people, G-Day. Didn't you get that memo? <laughs> you know what I'm like, so, so, people no, are, like, watching the like, Evans, I wonder, but all right. Well, you know. um, so, well, two things. So, with that, I think they might just change the schedules or try and arrange it so that people get home. Well, people aren't really going out, and if they're closing pubs and all that, then I guess you know people won't really be going out to watch football anyway. Um, but then, what Tiffany was saying is also true, to be honest, because I feel like there's been so many of the rules that don't apply to everyone equally. So, just before they had this new curfew they reduced the numbers of people that could be gathered together from 30 to six. Um, but it wasn't applied to everything. So for example, it doesn't, it, it doesn't apply to organized sport. So I think they were saying on the news about how they were having an issue because, you know, you can't meet up with six friends or you can't feed the feed ducks with six people together, but you can go shooting like you can have a shooting party with up to 30 people at the same time. So none of that makes any sense to me again. So all these sports that are, well, not just for rich people, but any kind of organized sports or all these other things that are exempt, which generally are for more privileged people, um, you know, it's different rules for them and then different rules for everyone else. Dave, are you saying, or are you admitting that you live in a classist society? No, no, no. I mean, society definitely is. I think I think everyone that's black in the UK and the US, yeah, will admit that they live in a classist and in those situations a racist society. I think that's part of the whole reason the diaspora is like is so strong and people root for black people so strongly is because they recognize, you know, that it's unfair where they're where where they are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Ooh, I was actually going to say, on that note, I just finished reading um, Natives by Akala, and I was going to recommend it to you, to, well, mostly to you, Jade, just because some of the conversations that we've touched on kind of are covered in that book. But for you, Tiffany, as well, it's a really interesting insight, I guess, into um, race relations in the UK and the history of that and, and people's experiences. And also, I guess, bridging the gap between um, you know, Caribbean British experiences, US, US Caribbean experiences, and then also West African British experiences. So I recommend that to the readers as well, to the listeners. Thank you. Because it took you a while to come around. You was being sexist at first. You was like, gee, I have the perfect book for you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was saying it because you mentioned I'm before sometimes about like the distinction between um like race relations in the uk and in the u.s so when i was reading the when i was reading the book it made me think of that yeah tiffany i put interesting links in the group chat 
Oh, can we transition and talk a little bit about travel? Because South Africa announced that they are reopening their international borders on October 1st, which, you know, I was saying, as we all know on this podcast, the three of us, that South Africa represented more than half of the COVID cases on the continent. So initially they were saying September, and then once the numbers started surging, began to surge, they said February of 2021. And now they've backtracked because the economy, you know, tourism, South Africa is so heavily dependent on the tourism industry, you know, towards their GDP. And so with tourism at international tourism at a halt, because now they're reviving the domestic and, or you can't really say regional, but the domestic tourism industry, but still there's so many people who are affected by the international borders being closed. I'm saying all of this to say, what it, What are your thoughts on that? Would you visit South Africa, understanding how many, how the numbers were so high? And then also, secondly, Lesotho is a landlocked country in South Africa. So I'm assuming that once South Africa announces their borders are reopening, Lesotho will follow a little bit behind because they basically have to play place uh, suit in and follow exactly what South Africa is doing. If South Africa restricts people from U.S. with traveling, then you're, it's very difficult to get to Lesotho if you're not going through South Africa. So my long-winded question, as Jude likes to add, likes to say, but what do you guys think? Are you guys going to South Africa? You guys going to Afro-Punk? I have no problem going to South Africa. But again, like, I'm not scared of traveling uh, because of COVID. I mean, I, I traveled. I went to Jamaica. But David, are you, like, are you, like, hesitant now to, to go to South Africa? Uh, maybe slightly. But I'd really? still love to go. Well, not really. I, I would just be thinking more like Jan Feb as opposed to now now. I mean, but like she said, Afropunk, right? Let's say you can go in December. Would you really be like, ah, it's too early for South Africa in December? Really? No, I think December should be okay. Because it's still far enough away that I think it should be cool. Um yeah. And as long as you can get somewhere good to stay where you feel relatively safe and secure, then I think you'll be good. I think I'm going, though. I, you going? Yeah, I think I'm going. You know, South Africa was, Johannesburg was really like a second, third home for me. I was always in Johannesburg. I would use that as a hub to fly out to other tours as well. Um, it was on my list of where to go Um pre-COVID, supposed to go on a, a Jeep drive through Limpopo. It was, so I love South Africa. And yes, I would be willing, I would like to see what um, precautions they're taking, you know, what's the arrival looking like, um, especially the requirements for, you know, all the countries that are, you know, arriving into the, into, um, into South Africa to travel. So I would look, I would just like to see what their precaution measures look like before I jump the gun. But yes, I would travel to South Africa. I have to go to the states. How the hell am I going to say I'm not going to go into South Africa? And I, and I have to go. I was going to say. I, I, 
I was just gonna say that. I was like, why are we having this discussion about like, oh, is it early for so like, I, why would you be scared to travel South Africa when South Africa has like less cases in the entire country than like the state of Texas, like I, I don't, or the state of Florida even. So like, I don't understand like why people would be scared. Can, can I say this though? Because this is actually a, a, a connected topic. Yeah. So I think that people who said Africans got lucky are right. If something like COVID happened in and let's say it started in like you know the middle of Africa um in Botswana or in Mali or something like that there's no doubt in my mind that we would have been really really in a bad place because yes our healthcare systems again I'm using us and we and our as a diaspora to represent African countries yes our healthcare systems aren't necessarily the greatest yes I understand that um, the societies in Africa are really, really difficult to do social distancing and that kind of thing with. Obviously, um, a lot of measures would have been very, very difficult to, um, especially in, in places where water is at a, a premium to, 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 to maintain. So it would have been really hard, for example, for the hand washing, all that kind of thing in certain places. I understand that for sure. So on that level, you can say Africa got lucky that the virus originated somewhere else and had to come in. But the bottom line is, People get lucky with different things all the time. Every country gets lucky with certain things. Like, you know, the whole idea is managing what happens to you, right? Managing what, what, you know, the ball that comes into your court, managing the best you can. And the truth is, as far as the global um, population is concerned, Africa did the best in managing COVID. Simple. To me, it's, it's no more simple than that. So my thing is like, I think a big part of that though is that we were able to legislate people that came into various African countries. So you saw people complaining like, okay, why did they keep the borders closed in Ghana so long? Why did they keep the borders closed in Nigeria so long? Right now, even though Nigeria opened their borders, they're still not allowing Air France to fly in because France has a, um, a ban on Nigerians coming in. So Nigeria has just put um, uh, reciprocity on that. And people are complaining. They're like, oh, come on, you know, whatever. But my thing is, to be honest, it's these measures that kept the numbers low in these countries. So, yes, it's a combination of luck, but also that should be acknowledged. There's things that were done. There's factors. There's things that we did control, that Africa did control, that I think came out for a positive. And I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, um, um, uh, uh, Africa did nothing. And I think a big thing was the closing of the borders. And by the way, when I say this, you're going to get people that are going to say the borders weren't closed because people were still walking from um, um, Togo into Ghana and people were still walking from Benin Republic into Nigeria. And my whole thing is we're not talking about those borders. The people they were trying to keep out. Exactly. Um, but we've gone on this like uh, uh, thing for too long and I haven't heard David's voice in a while. So David, I need to try. Yeah, David, close out. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'll, I'll give you close out I mean he's he's living that posh lifestyle I mean he lives next to a horse ranch do you ride horses David oh you gosh. seem like you seem like you I, no you ride on yes I don't like I wouldn't say that <laughs> I can I have before but I'm not like competent but I'm not like it's polo fun. Gear. David David when you see <laughs> yeah, the polo logo yeah. is it like is it just designer to you or is it like oh I needed that for my ride <laughs> this is my sport <laughs> This is my sporting equipment. No, no. If there's any um, any people that are into that and you want to send me some free stuff, go on. I'm here for it. He's an equestrian. Also, no, it can be fun. Like polo. I haven't played polo or anything like that. But um, 
Yeah, horse riding can be fun. Ironically, Tiffany, you will be very happy to know that I last went horse riding in Shanghai, actually, at an equestrian place. <laughs> of course you did. So, of course there you, you did. Go. There you go. That's a combination of all the things you hate. <laughs> no, I've actually, I've been horse riding one time in Lesotho, actually, but um, it's, I, I sometimes feel when animals are, you know, <laughs> acting as servitude for, for, um, for humans, you know, for beings, I think it's sort of kind of, kind of like torture. You don't know how many times people have asked me around, I, um, they call donkeys punda. Like, do I want to learn how to ride a donkey? I'm like, no, these poor donkeys are carrying concrete up and down. I feel so. Uh, but they've been doing it for, for centuries upon centuries. I know. If, if people started riding dogs, I would understand. But horses, we've been riding that from, from day one. So I'm like, is my turn for the big turn? Really? Oh, yeah. I can't believe it. I feel like she went too close. Hey. <laughs> you want to give another week? I downloaded some good old tunes today. Oh my God. <laughs> Here we go. I've <laughs> only one. That's it. I'm going to play. I hope I'm pronouncing this right, but it's, it's Uma Kondana by Azana. It's a South African tune. And when I tell you, I need to hear your feedback from this song when, once you guys listen to this episode. Matter of fact, I'm going to send it to your WhatsApp. This song is everything for me right now. So that's what I'm going with, Azana. Umakandana. Somebody from South Africa is probably, if we have South African listeners, they probably like cursing me out. Because I'm maybe not pronouncing it right, but yeah, I, I just sad. I don't like. I feel like we've had as many South African big tunes at this point as we have um, Nigerian uh, Afrobeat big tunes, and the South African big tunes are like one for five so far. So I hope that this one, oh, you know, is gosh. a positive. According um, to but, who, you know, what I mean? according to 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 the, to the turn up, you know, what I'm saying it's one for five. All right. Y'all know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna give this one a chance. That's what it is, y'all. Um, Later. next time. Later. Sweet.
Thank you for joining us on Travel and Turn Up. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. Find more information about any topics or destinations discussed by following us on social media. Search Travel and Turn Up. That's T-A-R-V-E-L-N-T-U-R-N-U-P on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Travel more, say less.